Good morning, everyone. Udlakut. I guess I'd better. <laughs> That's what I was going to write. May the words of my lips and our lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Thank you for such a warm welcome. Father Stephen, Alana, Donna, Christian, Colin, David, and everyone joining us. And Tunga Sugitsi, that means welcome to you, to this small reflection on Indigenous and non-Indigenous connections and community in this country we call Canada. You know, the Inuktitut word for welcome, Tungasugitsi, comes from the root word that is used also for basement. It means literally that I've prepared a foundation for our conversation today. I hope that this foundation is good and gives you some good pieces to build good relations going forward. I have brought with me a Kamatik and an Atigi, and I brought those to signify the fact that we're moving forward here. And just like the Israelites way back in Isaiah's time were in distress, overwhelmed by the people who were oppressing them, not only foreigners, but also their own people, they needed to move ahead. And that is why Isaiah said what he did. And that is indeed why we've got the gospel. I also brought with me an ulu. This is a traditional knife, usually of women, but men use it too, for everything, for skinning, for cutting meat, for eating, for uh, picking things up off the floor, etc., for preparing skins, for sewing. And I brought this because I think we're at a point in our Canadian experience where we need to cut away what is not useful anymore, and to therefore have the meat or have the skin prepared so that we can move forward in a good way together. Who am I? Well, at this juncture of my life, I can say without a doubt that I'm a beloved, even doted on, daughter of Father God, creator. More to the point, maybe, is, um, <clears throat> is where am I? Where do I come from? So I grew up as a second-generation English-Canadian in small farming communities in Toronto and Peterborough areas of Ontario as an Anglican minister's daughter, believe it or not. It was when I was four years old that I began to hear an Indigenous language spoken around me. Inuktitut, being spoken by the Anglican Bishop of the Arctic at the time, Donald Ben Marsh, and his wife, who became good friends with my parents around that time. By the time I was eight, I was not just hearing Inuktitut, but I was beginning to listen to it. Why? Because I learned to listen, because I met Reverend Noah Nasuk and his wife Martha from Iglulik. Nasuk was one of the first Inuit to be ordained an Anglican minister. 
I listened as they sang, Jesus nagli kivanga, manakal yimavunga. I think we all know that song. And I listened to the Inuktitut with understanding, somewhat. To make a long story short, I've been living within Indigenous communities since 1974, when I went as a teacher to Shefferville in the Labrador part of Quebec, where I attended the Nescapi Cree Parish of Matamakosh on the reserve. 1978, I was young, I flew to Igloolik, and I was met at the airstrip at 3 a.m. this time of year in full sunlight, right? 24 hours of sunlight. By who? Beautiful full circle by Noah Nasuk. It was in Igloolik that I first wrote on a hamatik, much longer than this, with Quimmi, a traditional dog team, and I went to a community drum dance in a huge igloo, and I learned to say no with my nose, look, and yes with my eyes. See? Already, it was language that was the lingua franca of understanding and knowing Indigenous people. Following this time, I worked for five years in Ottawa for Northern Affairs, Canada, but most of all, I lived within the Inuit community of Ottawa, about 60 people at that time. Then, in 1983, I moved to Clyde River, Northwest Territories, what is now Nunavut, to teach school and to learn Inuktitut. Clyde River is, can I point at all? Uh, no, <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's uh, halfway up Baffin Island, which is, there's the yellow piece that's northern Quebec, Baffin Island, and Clyde River, it was called in those days. Today, it is Kangaltrapik. It has returned to its indigenous name, which means the beautiful little inlet. So I moved to Kangaltrapik in 1983 for to learn Inuktitut, that was my assignment, for one year. Well, I met and married Joshua Kautak Idlauk. Now 35 years, four children, and lots of stories later, I am still learning Inuktitut. Now it's my four children who teach me, not only their language, but their culture as Inuit children, whose father tongue is Inuktitut, and who have been trained well by their father and other Inuit family members in Inuit traditions and culture. This is our family. This is Joshua off to the right. And these are our four children. Benjamin near the picture with his head on the picture. He's a hunter, a traveler, most of all, but he's also a teacher and a counselor and an artist. I'm sorry, that's his father. <laughs> my, my husband, Joshua, is a hunter. He's a traveler. He's traveled all over the Arctic by dog sled and boat. A teacher, a counselor, and an artist. Our four children, Benjamin with his head on the wall, on the picture. He's also a hunter and traveler. And he's also an artist. And he's a construction worker here in the South. My daughter, my eldest daughter is a university student um, and also um, an assistant professor, a sewer and a designer, 
and an advocate for her people. My second daughter, Down, is a health professional in health promotions. And my youngest daughter is a dental office administrator, all of them with roots and lots of skills in sewing and land skills and so on. And their spouses are in the picture as well. My eldest daughter's spouse is a French, uh, sorry, my son's spouse is an Inuit woman from Clyde River. My eldest daughter's a man who has a French father and an OG Cree mom. My next daughter, her partner is Soto from the reserve of Muscapeding, which is very close to Kawasis, where the most recent unmarked graves of residential school children have been found. And a man from Guyana, not in the picture, taken before he was part of the family. We now have eight grandchildren. I sometimes feel that our family lives in a small crucible of what is happening on a wider scale in Canada. For so long up to today, we have intensely known the pounding pressures and the stresses of life that are gradually breaking down and healing the barriers in this country. I would like to share with you now some of the great consolations I've had as I've lived into my roots as a Treaty Canadian. You know, we're all Treaty Canadians. Even as of Monday, the oath of Canadian citizenship includes the phrase, something along the lines of, and I respect the treaties signed with the First Peoples of Canada. These are not only treaties, with First Nations people, but they're also the land claims with Inuit people. As I've lived into these, I have received so many gifts. Perhaps one of the most important gifts I've received is to have authentic and accurate information and names about Indigenous people. We've all heard Native, we've all heard Eskimo, we've all heard those words that are not representative of our First Peoples. So we have, um, we need to remember that although there were something like 500,000, half a million Indigenous peoples prior to 1867, by the time 1867 came along, there were only 100,000 left. Today, we have approximately a million First Nations individuals, approximately half a million Métis, and approximately 65,000 Inuit. That is why Inuit are very rarely part of the picture, I think. And it's important to remember that, as I mentioned, those names that we used to know when I went to school, we were never taught the proper names. Those were the names we were taught. Would you get rid of them, please? After all, knowing and facing the truth, cutting away what is no longer useful, is really important. Next, please. So it's important to remember that regarding First Nations and um, Inuit people, there are areas in Canada. The purple part at the top, is where Inuit live. Those are their lands. You'll notice that there's a large swatch of yellow in the middle. That is also indigenous land. Don't think for a minute that it's not. Those are the northern First Nations people, the Dene, some of the northern Cree, and so on. 
And then you have all the different colors at the bottom showing all the different um, groups of uh, First Nations people living in the South, as we call it, from the North. Next. Just a quick view of how Inuit and First Nations people are different. We see dwellings. Next. We see regalia. Inuit tend to be very plain. So this is how Inuit dress in hot areas like Canada, <laughs> in the clothes of the people there. Next. This is how people get around. And I'm showing you here First Nations from the Soto area, so one of my sons-in-law. Uh, of course, horses as opposed to dogs. Next. The teachings are very different too. For example, there's the teachings of the sacred tree on the left, the book, and on the right you see Devi Ituk, who is an elder who pulled together all of his teachings in a book, lying on the ground, very close to the earth. All the First Nations and, and Inuit people are close to the earth and their teachings reflect that. Next. The drumming, again, uh, Prairie Cree drumming and Inuit drumming on the right. Next. Dancing. First Nations, all the feathers and things, they're primarily from First Nations cultures. Inuit again, very plain, very small. They're nomadic. Next. Inuit live in four basic areas. And a lot of people, we have about 6,000 Inuit in Ottawa. Next. So information is one of the things I've learned, and to separate the truth from the colonial ideologies. Family is also a huge gift that I have received. Every individual in our extended family and community is really significant to me. I remember when Joshua proposed marriage to me, considering the option of returning to my nuclear family, great family, in the South what Inuit call the mainstream populated parts of southern Canada. I married Joshua, <laughs> partly because after living in Clyde River for a year, I had discovered the richness of extended Inuit family relationships. And I knew that I had so much to learn about bringing up children, about kinship and family roles and responsibilities, about elders and their role in family, how to collaborate and survive together, not only in traditional camps on the land when we would hunt, but also in remote Arctic communities where, for example, a water truck came twice a week. Next. Another real joy I had was the Inuit cultural traditions. And we'll just scroll through these pictures. Hunting at the flow edge, that's this time of year. That's what's happening. Narwhal hunting at the flow edge. Next eating food, getting the skins together, preserving food, an incredible science and, in a sense, technology. But no, it is just learning to live in sequence and in balance with the land around you. Next. The elders. The elders are an incredible joy to get to know, and the depth of their wisdom, the 
wonder of their stories and the resilience and the strength that they show is also something that is a true gift in my life. Next. One of the main concepts that um, the elders taught me was the concept of namaktuk. My husband had come back from um, a hunting trip with, for caribou. He'd come back with six caribou at a time when there were a few caribou in the community. He was a very good hunter. And as usual, we brought it home, we cut it up, we put it on the sled, went on the local radio and said, anybody who wants meat, come and get some. Immediately people came, and within an hour, most of the meat was gone. There was one haunch left, and that was what we were able to put in our freezer. An hour and a half later, Jacob Iakalujuak and his wife came by. He was the lay minister in our parish. They, had, they didn't get meat. And I said to them, oh, I'm so sorry. And of course, we took out the haunch, and my husband cut a piece off it. And I was apologizing in my kadrunak way, saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, it's not enough. And Jacob, he said to me, no, namaktuk, it's enough. And I kept on apologizing, and he said, no, and he laughed, and he said, namaktiatu, it's just perfectly enough for us. It's really good meat. Thank you so much. He had a family of seven kids. Next. I want to share now just briefly and only by words on a screen the flip side of all the joy of living with an Inuit family, living within an Inuit family. And I'm going to ask um, Colin to go through these pretty quickly. I'll just get you to scroll through them. And these are the realities of what we, in our own family, I'm not talking extended family here, that we have lived. Thank you. So what do we do? What have we done? How is it that I am standing before you now and that all of my children are still alive? And Joshua, what do we do? What are First Peoples families and communities to do as they're reeling under, under the weight of the realities of this past month alone? What are we to do as Canadians who seem to be finally waking up to the historic reality that the government of Canada did indeed participate in, and in some cases, some people promoted what commissioners Judge Marie Sinclair and Dr. Marie Wilson called cultural genocide. I can tell you what we've done. We've embraced the land, sat with the land, let our creator teach us through the balances and the beauties of the land what he wants us to know for that day to help us to have strength and carry on. Next. Uh, sorry, back, back one. Eating together. We talk and we eat and we laugh 
And yes, we cry. And we eat some more and give thanks for what we've been given. Next. We do arts. My son makes things. My daughters sew their lives together, literally, with the patterns from their elders. Next. And of course, we pray. Sometimes in a religious setting, like a church, but more often in our own hearts, as we feel and find our way through these heavy days, so that we can get up the next morning to a new dawn and the light of a new day of life and love. And as Christians, as Canadians, what are we to do? I'm speaking now as a Kalunak, as a, a, a English Canadian. What is our way forward? One thing I know that my Inuit family members have taught me is that God is tungunak, Remember the word welcome? He is welcoming always to us. Rembrandt's picture. He has prepared a foundation from the beginning of time for us to learn from and live into, even during this uncomfortable and even overwhelming time of our history. Secondly, I have learned from Inuit, particularly from those who are houseless in Ottawa. 60% of Inuit in Ottawa are houseless and food insecure. I know that what we have been given here and now and today is namaktuk. It is enough. Not only that, but we also have what is beautiful, what is beautiful. The writer of the first reading from the book of Isaiah gives us a set of four steps to help us move forward. Next. Look up at the sky. He invites his people. Our creator calls us to remember through the stars and all of creation, and particularly in the lights, that it is the eyes of every man, woman, or child, indigenous or non-indigenous, who our creator calls to remember. The amazing essence of each individual he has created each one he calls by name, we are reminded that not one of them is missing from his sight. Not even those who are forgotten or shoved under the sod. In other words, let us recall the intrinsic value of every human soul and indeed every animal, plant, and created element of this earth, of Mother Earth, and be thankful. Number two, verse 27. God says, why complain? Do you think that your Lord doesn't know your troubles or care that you too suffer injustice? It says in Isaiah. During the past month, I've heard some mainstream people say that they too have suffered. And so why all the hubbub about the indigenous suffering in our country? The point is, Let's cut that away and say that we need to listen to each other's languages, their suffering and their pain, their joys and their hopes, and to understand them as our Creator listens to and understands our own sorrows and groanings. Number three, verse 29, 
He strengthens those who are weak and tired. Yes, First Peoples' families and communities are weak and tired. Yes, we can all get weak and tired with such overwhelming evidence surfacing. But traditional Inuit wisdom and First Nations teachings supported by generations of stories handed down by our King Rulik, our ancestors, bear witness to the fact that yes, Creator is even more capable of strengthening those who are weak and tired, whether young or old. And we are designed by Creator to be strong in heart, mind, and body. Finally, and I'll wind up with this, let us remind ourselves, verse 20, verse 31, those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. They will rise on wings like eagles. You know, there are so many wonderful teachings about eagles in many First Nations traditions, and Inuit know them as well. In the list of URLs I sent Father Stephen that will be on the website and on the Facebook page eventually, you will find a link to some of the Anishinaabeg teachings about eagles. I would encourage you to take some time with these teachings as a start and then open your heart to how Creator wants you to apply them to this reading and to your life in general. Are we ready to run and not get weary? Are we ready to walk and not grow weak like the ancestors of our First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples here in Canada? Last one. This is Igunak. These people are, they have, uh, this is this time of year in Igluluk. The hunters are going out hunting walrus. They cut it into pieces. They put it in a raw seal skin, sew it up, and then they take it to a place and they bury it in the ground. You can't hold one of these Igunak packages as an individual. It's too slippery and far too heavy. So as they're being carried to the place where they're going to be buried, it takes cooperation. It takes people listening to each other, holding hands, speaking the same language, and walking together. My question to all of us is, will we take part? Will we help? Will we listen to the call of Creator and receive his word as it's described in the Gospel of the Eagle Evangelist, St. John, so that we can live into our heritage as Creator's beloved children? Will we become like Jesus, full of grace and truth? Father, open our eyes that we may see the way that we should walk. Thank you, Father God. Amen.